Hello and welcome into this week's edition of the Rookie Stripes Podcast here on Racing News Now. I'm Garth Allen, that is Mr. Tyler Guthrie, and this has been the hardest episode of the 10 episodes so far to get recorded. One thing after another, you'll probably notice my audio sounds egregiously worse than it has in the past. My mic stopped working, and it's taken us about two days to figure out how to do this without my mic. Hopefully this is only like a week or two situation and I have a uh, fixed mic or a new mic soon. But for now, you've just got to listen to me in worse quality, which I know is probably not that big of a deal to most of you. You'd probably rather hear less of me as it is. But um, And don't mind my wet hair. We're doing this in the morning. So um, not all of us can have perfect hair like Mr. Guthrie over here. Somebody's got to do it, but yeah, I mean, we're recording the podcast in the daylight outside, so that just tells you how this week's going for us. Oh yeah, usually we record this on Sunday night. It is currently Tuesday morning, and we're recording this. So yeah, that's uh, that's the week we've had with this. It's uh, it's been quite the trip, but uh, hopefully you still enjoy the product that you hear from us this week. Um. Not a whole lot to talk about this week, just a couple Bristol Dirt races um, that were actually surprisingly decent. But before we get to that, um, we need to talk about all of the uh, penalty appeals that happened last week and the inconsistent rulings from the appeals panel. It was very strange what we saw. So first, if you're unaware of any of the penalties that were being heard this past week, Hendrick Motorsports and College Racing both had uh, louvers confiscated by NASCAR. Was that two weeks ago now? Yeah. Um, okay. Um, Hendrick had louvers from all four cars confiscated, while Colleg only had louvers from one car confiscated. But they all got penalties for it that they were um, unapproved. They'd done modifications of some sort to them to, I guess, make them fit better or whatever. And NASCAR didn't like that, so they gave them big, big penalties, like major points penalties, major monetary fines, all kinds of stuff. Um, didn't they drop Alex Bowman from first in regular season points to, like, 30-something? Something like that. It took Justin Haley, who was the colleague car that they penalized, down to, like, negative 40 points. Yeah. Um, and I think he just finally dug out of that back into the positive last week, maybe? Which is nuts, because they still can't figure out if it was the teams or if it was just the part that was messed up. And I guess the teams are saying that the part was messed up and NASCAR, like, communicated with them on how to fix it to make it fit the car. And then now NASCAR says it's a penalty, even though it has nothing to do with performance at all. It's just, it's a weird situation. And the weirdest part about this is, it's not even like... it. It, we, they didn't even get to find out if it was performance enhancing because these louvers got confiscated before practice, before whichever race this was. I don't remember what race it was, but well, no, the the Hendrick the Hendrick ones were on during practice. The colleague ones I thought got confiscated before they even got to the track. I thought they all got confiscated before practice. Like, it was pre-practice tech that they caught this and took away all of them. No, it was uh, pre-qualifying, because I know the Hendrick okay, ones were on for practice. Okay. Hendrick says they got no performance enhancement over it at all. Mm-hmm. So, it's just one of those weird things where, I guess NASCAR has the responsibility to uphold these penalties because they said if you modify a part, you'll get a penalty but at the same time if the part is wrong from the factory what do you expect the teams to do especially when hendrick says they were communicating with nascar about how to modify the part to make it fit the car it's just really sketchy to me right and and it gets even stranger when you get to the the appeals and the appeals panel can't even be consistent with what they rule on these because Right. The Hendrick penalty, they took away all the points penalties. They left the the monetary fines and everything else, but they gave them back all their points. So they they ruled that Hendrick did cheat, but then they still gave them back their points. And then Colleague, who 
didn't even use the parts in any session got like 25% of their points back. And yeah, it's just weird that they like even the independent third party appeals panel can't even be consistent with this. Yeah, and that's that's the strangest part about it is and I, I, I don't think it's the same people on the panel every appeal. Like I'm pretty sure Hendrick had different people on the panel than Colleague did, so that might yeah, be. Yeah, I, th- I think it. they changed the panel every time. Right. But it's still strange that two different sets of three people can look at this and be that vastly different. And yeah. and even they, they they both looked at it and said both of them cheated, but then they're inconsistent in what they uphold from the penalty and what they don't uphold from the penalty. The weirdest part about it to me is Hendrick had louvers confiscated from all four cars, the entire team. So mm-hmm. if you're meanwhile, colleague only had it from confiscated from Justin Haley's car, one car out of their three, and it was only one of the two louvers too. Right. So, if you're going to look at either one of them and say, okay, one of them didn't cheat, it would be Colic. Because right. if all four cars and every louver have whatever issue this was, then it it might be clearer if you're going to say that one of them cheated, that it well, would be can, Hendrick. You can get away with one of four being wrong and saying it's like a manufacturer problem, but you mm-hmm. can't really get away with eight of eight when there's how many other Chevy teams in NASCAR. Right. And that's the weirdest part about it to me. How does Hendrick get their penalty lessened by so much to where they get all their points back, whereas Colleg only gets a quarter of their penalties back, or quarter of their points back, but yet they had so much less of an infraction. Right. Something doesn't sit right about this with me. Oh, and NASCAR with the Independent Appeals Board now, I guess NASCAR doesn't have any control over what they decide, and which is weird to me, too, because I would think that you should have to go back through NASCAR with the appeals decision, because NASCAR is a sanctioning body. NASCAR gives a penalty, not random appeals boards. But after they reduce the Hendrick penalty, then NASCAR goes and confiscates two Hendrick cars in post-race the next week because yeah. they were upset. And then gave them penalties from those cars that they confiscated. Yeah. So, basically, NASCAR was just out for revenge at that point. Um, yeah. Back to your point, though, about the appeals should be going to NASCAR. The reason that this appeals panel was set up so that it would be an unbiased place to appeal. Whereas, if you went to appeal your case to NASCAR, NASCAR has already penalized you, so there's some clear bias there, and they already believe that you should have this penalty. So, the thought process there is you take your appeal to a group of people that didn't make your penalty and see if they have different thoughts on what happened than what NASCAR did. Right. I just, I don't know what the process is to make it better, but what they're doing right now doesn't really make sense. And it's, it's, I think most people were okay with the independent appeals board before this, but now you've had the same penalty given to two different teams and one team. Now it's completely gone. And the other team still gets three quarters of the penalty. It It's a little sketchy. Well, See, and here's the thing. If anyone listens to Denny Hamlin's podcast, Actions Detrimental, um, he also had to appeal a penalty this week, which we'll get to in a moment. Um, So he kind of broke down what the entire appeals process was, how how much of a case he had to to put up, um, what actually happened in the quote-unquote courtroom, because apparently it actually is like you're going into court with a jury, basically presenting your case to a jury. Um, Like NASCAR has to um, tell their side, and then Denny or whoever is appealing their penalty gives their case on why they shouldn't have had a penalty, um, and they go back and forth for a minute, and then the, the appeals panel convenes to discuss 
what they think should happen after that. Um, so, and even Denny said the process is very fair and is how it probably should be. It's just weird the conclusions that this panel is coming to and how they're upholding or not upholding these penalties is is very strange in in and how the outcomes of these are playing out. Yeah, it's like there there's no precedent for this, so they're really not they have liberty to make whatever decision they want, which I think is part of the problem because they're not involved with NASCAR. I mean, they're reading the NASCAR rule book and then going with what the teams say, but I feel like there needs to be more input. I mean, I don't know, maybe they're getting a whole lot more information than I think they are, but it's just, a, it's a strange concept. Well, and these may not be people that are involved directly in NASCAR, but these are racing people. Uh, right. So the three people specifically that were on the panel for uh, when Denny made his appeal uh, were Lynn St. James, who is a former driver, um, the promoter for Bowman Gray Stadium, and I don't know who the other guy was, but he was some sort of racing something or other. Um, so they're at least racing people that, that understand racing, so you would think they would be making decisions that make sense, but that wasn't the case this past week. Yeah, and I think it's difficult, especially in the Hendrick colleague scenario, where you have manufacturer supplied parts that were supplied wrong, and then the teams make a modification to even get them on the car. I I feel like we've had too many manufacturer parts that are just wrong for such a spec car like this. I just I don't know how it's stuff's getting so screwed up from the factory, but if you have eight nine of these louvers that are just coming out of the factory wrong and they had to modify them to even get to fit on the car. Like maybe that's worth looking into from NASCAR's perspective. Well, if that makes sense to an extent, because what's happening is these louvers are being produced by someone different who, that is making whatever they fit into. Um, so, it's not all the the entire car is not being made by the same company. There's different parts being made by different companies. So these companies don't seem to be working together on what how their parts fit together. Um so you're going to run in, into in, things like that. In 2023 with how much technology we have, it's insane to me that you can't even get a CAD drawing to fit together. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I kind of understand it given that, um, it's never going to be the same as like prior to this, when Hendrick would build their entire car, um, they're building the entire thing in house. They've got the entire thing to look over for the entire process. So of course, everything is going to fit perfectly together or you would think it would. Um, and that's different than. 20 different companies making 20 different parts for your car and you got to fit this jigsaw puzzle together and not every piece fits together. But at the same time, you would think NASCAR would understand that and be a little more lenient on parts that don't quite fit how they should. Yeah. I mean, they put in this penalty system for modified parts and all that. And it was just kind of like, they made it sound like if you touch a part that you're not supposed to, then basically you just might as well not even show up the rest of the season, which I guess in colleagues' case is partially true. But it's just there's such hefty penalties for what I think of minor infractions as far as just getting something to fit. I understand it's not what it's supposed to be, but if the parts are wrong from the factory, what are you supposed to do? Like have the team show up without certain parts on their car for a weekend until they can get new ones or I don't know. Right. It, it It's one of those things in NASCAR. It's like, it's a problem and nobody can figure out a good way to fix it, which happens a little bit too often in this sport, I think. But another problem that we have right now is the choose drone. That thing was stupid. Oh, I like that. 
I mean, I think that was an innovative solution to not being able to paint a cone on the track. Yeah, but it put in, like, another super gray area rule where they were, like, clearly indicate which lane you're going to before you get to the drone. And at least did nobody they, nobody they didn't had penalize a penalty. anybody for that, though, did no, they? No, nobody had a penalty for it, but it was just kind of like, you read the rule, you're like, okay, somebody could totally get screwed by this. They could, but I think NASCAR understands how vague that is, and they weren't... I don't think they were going to penalize anybody unless they drove directly under the cone before... or under the drone before actually picking what lane they were in. It did look kind of goofy, though, with, like, we're in Bristol, Tennessee, with, like, this little drone with a rectangle, and and they're like, wow, look at this super high-tech equipment, and everybody else is like, yeah, we've been doing drone stuff for a while. (laughs) Right. NASCAR Uh, on their drones. Yeah. Um, Circling back to uh, the penalties, though, uh, there was a third penalty that was appealed this week that I think we need to discuss, and that would be uh, Denny Hamlin's penalty. We had this discussion a couple weeks ago. Uh, We had differing opinions on whether he should have been penalized or not for what he said. Um, And Denny, I, I would actually very highly recommend going back and listening to his podcast episode, he actually put out an extra episode at the end of last week after the penalty, um, after he um, did his appeal and talked about the entire process, talked about what his case was for why it shouldn't have been a penalty, what he presented to the panel. Uh, fascinating listen. So I would I would highly recommend going and listening to it. Um, but Honestly, I thought he made a very good case, and he was exactly right, I thought, for um, why he shouldn't have gotten a penalty, and they completely upheld his penalty, didn't change it at all, which felt very strange to me, given that two of the people on his panel were a former driver and a promoter at Bowman Gray Stadium, which Bowman Gray is known for all of their antics, all the fights, all the excitement that they have at Bowman Gray, so you would think... Uh, if anyone understood something like this, it would be that person, and yet Denny's penalty remained unchanged, which was another one this week that was kind of a head-scratcher for me that I didn't expect. Yeah, I think when we talked about this, I said that they should have penalized him, but it should get overturned in the appeals process. But mm-hmm. I just it's weird to me that you can have a driver say something Outside of NASCAR, like he's on his own time doing his own stuff during the week. You shouldn't be able to, I think you have to penalize him, but with an appeals process, I think it'd be different if there was an appeals process, because if there wasn't an appeals process, I would probably be a whole lot more angry with them penalizing. But from NASCAR's point of view, you have to be like, Hey, you can't like take somebody out, you know, but from the appeals process, it's like he was outside of NASCAR, minding his own business, said he did something, you can't penalize him for that, which I completely understand. I don't know why they didn't overturn it, but appeals process shenanigans. So, and here's the weirdest part about that, though. Um, Denny admitted that when he said on his podcast that he full-on took Ross out, let go of the wheel, that that was a bit of an embellishment. And I guess when he went to the appeals panel, he showed proof that he went into that corner the same exact way that he had for the entire rest of the race. He got a little tight but and realized Ross was on his outside, so he didn't cut him a break. But at the same time, he didn't go in there and actually take Ross out. He just got tight, and he gave Ross the choice of either back out or we're going to make contact. And Ross, being Ross, didn't back out, so they made contact. Yeah. And they both finished the race. Neither one of them wrecked. And it kind of seems just like seems... just another popular NASCAR driver kind of talking just to talk and then said something kind of stupid and got himself a penalty for it. So he gave the analogy of... um when he's on his podcast, he, he said he he's going to embellish certain things because he said at that point he's basically a color commentator. He's like he's like the guys on MRN radio where they always sound exciting, 
because they're probably making the race a little more exciting than what it actually is because they have to paint that picture for you and make it exciting so you continue listening. He likened his position on that podcast to someone on MRN embellishing the facts just slightly to make it more exciting and more enjoyable to listen to. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. It's just kind of... I don't understand how you can say you took somebody out and then not expect the sanctioning body to do something about it. it it's just kind of... He didn't full-on take him out, though. That's the thing. He no, drove I agree. Up the tra- they went up the track, and they both stayed straight. So he didn't... That's the thing. All NASCAR's got to do is look and go, well, they didn't actually full-on wreck. They made contact, and then they went down the straightaway, and Ross brake-checked him a couple times. That's all that happened. I think he wouldn't have got a penalty if he hadn't have said something. But but that's the thing. I, if, we're just, if we're just making penalties on what they say and not even looking at what happened, that's a dangerous situation to get into. I agree, but when you have somebody say that they intended to wreck somebody you can't just stand by and say oh well i mean it's a slippery slope there and you gotta i think they gotta be a little bit more careful with this than what they're doing and i think it should have been overturned just because it's a bad precedent to set people say things all the time though words are words just because you say something doesn't mean that was your actual intent. And NASCAR is all about this whole being in the entertainment business now and not so much for being in the racing business. So why is why is that more egregious than... I, I'm going to circle back to Daniel Suarez at CODA now because how is, if you just look at what happened on track, how is what Denny did more egregious than what Suarez did. And Suarez got much less of a penalty. Oh, I think Suarez should have been penalized out the ass for that. Mm-hmm. I, I have alluded to this before on the podcast. I hate it when people take out other cars after the race. I, that should be completely unacceptable. Definitely a suspension. I don't understand mm-hmm. how they didn't. But, I mean... I guess it's the same thing we were just talking about. NASCAR's more for the show than the sport now, and it's good for the show if somebody's flying into pit lane mad at people, but that's horrible racing etiquette. You do that in Europe, you're not going to be racing the next week or the week after that or probably for the next month. And it's just, I don't understand how you can have Denny put Chastain in the wall and then they both keep going and give a big penalty for that. But Suarez go flying into the pits after the race and start taking people out. That... So, and here's the other thing. Apparently, Denny asked NASCAR, after they gave him the penalty, what the penalty was for. Was it for the incident on track, or was it for his words? And mm-hmm. they told him it was for his words. Yeah, I just... Well, I mean, you had Dale Sr. back in the day, like, taking out people, but he would just say, I was just trying to rough him up and not admit to taking him out, and he always got away with it, but I don't know. It, it's weird. See, but there's a difference there, though, because Earnhardt would dance around the, what he did and not fully say it, but then you'd look and, like, I just meant to rattle his cage, but you totally wrecked him on the last lap. Right. It was very obvious, but so I, just, I, I, I feel like it's something to do with the fact that Denny just came out and said, yep, I meant to do it. And they just had, they knee jerked at it is what they yeah. did. They knee jerk reacted when they should have taken time to think about what the entire situation was. And that's the scariest part about this is, that they can just knee-jerk and throw a penalty out like that for anything that you say, and the appeals panel will uphold it, whether they yeah. should or not. And then you get into the area of, well, now we're going to have... You've been complaining about NASCAR drivers not showing personality. This is exactly why they don't show personality, because they're afraid they're going to get penalized for something stupid that they said that they shouldn't get penalized for. Right. I think either... You have to just 
not penalize anybody based on anything they say and just let them have it, or this needs to be the precedent. And I don't like this moving forward, but in this situation, I get it, is kind of what I'm trying to say here. Mm -hmm. It's just... Danny put NASCAR in a really bad spot. You can't, you can't have a football player like break somebody's leg in a tackle, and then after the game be like, "Yep, I intended to break his leg." You're gonna have to suspend them or something because you can't have that. But at the same time, you don't want somebody to accidentally break somebody's leg and then get suspended for it because you think they did it maliciously. But it's just. I don't know what the right decision here is, but it seems like either way is wrong, and <laughs> I don't know what to do for this. I don't know. It's it's very tough for me because I know I've heard of multiple drivers now since this that were looking into having a podcast like Denny has, which I think and would be great. The more it. drivers that have podcasts like this would be fantastic because you get to hear all of this stuff behind the scenes, you get to hear their thought process on things that happened, even if it wasn't something that directly happened to them. And multiple drivers have said they don't want anything to do with having a podcast now because they're afraid they're going to say something that is going to get them penalized. Yeah, and I, I think that's not good for the sport, obviously. A lot of these podcasts, like Connor Daly's is really good. Um mm -hmm. You got Dale Jr.'s. I mean, he's retired, but it's still so, sort of the same deal. And Denny's is pretty good. It's just, it's giving drivers another platform where they can talk about what they want to talk about and they don't get put into a corner by the media. And I really like that. But I, I get it, you know? I mean, I, I want drivers to be able to say whatever they want to say. But I also want to have responsibility for saying certain things but it's outside of the race so you can't really do anything about it i don't know so the other thing that doesn't make any sense to me is denny was talking about nascar at one point during the appeal made the point that if he had said this post race on pit road it wouldn't have been a penalty because they would have considered it something he said in the heat of the moment and they wouldn't have taken it seriously. Oh, but yet well, he... that, that puts it into a completely different perspective then, because I mm -hmm. would have penalized him if he said it at the track. Exactly. So would I. I, I don't get yeah, I, I, that... I do not get the thought process there, especially given that they have penalized drivers in the past for things that they have said post-race at the track. Right. That's completely backwards of what I would have done. I mm -hmm. would probably not penalize him if he said it in the middle of the week and definitely penalize him if you said it at the track but if nascar doing the opposite then i just i don't know what their priorities are anymore i mean i guess i know it it's to make a bunch of money but as a person that likes the sport and not just the tv ratings which tv ratings have kind of sucked this year anyway i don't know how the hell the masters got 12 million views and nascar's barely pulling two mm -hmm. but i just I don't know. If they're really saying that they wouldn't have penalized him at the track, that's some BS. Yeah. No, I, I, I fully agree. Um, see, and that's the point I made when we first talked about this, was that I feel like it's completely different if he says this two days later on his podcast. He's had time to think about it and articulate his words, and he's not just... He's not just pissed off and mad in the moment after the race and yelling at Ross and um, saying that he's going to take him out. No, he's, yeah. he's, he's thought about what he's saying. He's chosen to say it two days after the race. He's not as hot after as he was after the race. And he's thought about what he wants to say and what he wants to articulate to his fans. And I feel like that should be considered a safe space. Right. And I, I don't understand how NASCAR can just knee-jerk at something like this and go, nope, that's not okay. Penalty, penalty, penalty. Yeah, I agree that if a driver has a podcast, I think it should be safe from NASCAR penalties. Um, 
I mean, oh, you, you changed drivers. your opinion on that. Then when we had this conversation the first time, you didn't agree with that. Well, I think with Denny, it was just how blatant it was. I don't, I don't think, regardless of what scenario is, you can just come out and say, "Yep, I intended to wreck somebody." But I think for the podcast thing, it's like more of if a driver disagrees with something NASCAR does they shouldn't be able to penalize them for something they say about it. Because we've had this before where somebody said something bad about NASCAR and then NASCAR gets all mad about it. And it's just kind of really, I mean, your sport's not perfect and your drivers are your biggest advocates. They want to be there. They want the sport to be better and they want to do it in any way they possibly can. But if they're bringing light to different problems in the sport that can get fans attention on it, then we can change the sport for the better. And it just seems like NASCAR has always been reluctant to accept criticism, which usually ends up in stuff like weird Bristol dirt races. But, you know. Hmm. That sounds like another series I'm familiar with. Arca. Um, <laughs> so moving on to, uh, to Bristol dirt, then uh, two fairly decent races this weekend. I was surprised. I think the cup race was better than the truck race. Yeah, uh, but I w- I was surprised at how much I enjoyed both of them. Whenever there weren't stupid single car spins happening every other lap that they were throwing a caution for, it was actually fairly decent, enjoyable racing. Like it wasn't true hardcore dirt racing, but it was at least entertaining to watch. So I think the truck race would have been a hell of a lot more entertaining if Joey Logano wasn't there. Yeah. To be honest, though, he didn't really run away with it. It's not like he was a half a lap ahead. He was in striking distance and nobody could ever quite get to him. He was just far enough ahead that nobody could do anything about it, which is arguably like the worst kind of NASCAR racing, in my opinion, because it's it's one thing to have like Pato Ward and IndyCar lap the entire field like that just sounds impressive but when you're just a second and a half ahead of everybody and it's like it's that close and then they announcers try to be like oh he's closing and it goes from <laughs> 1.3 to 1.2 seconds you're like yeah okay whatever but right. i i think the truck race would have been a whole lot more entertaining if we had a better battle for the lead but yeah the truck race was just they could never get into rhythm which is something that I liked about the last half-ish of the cup race once NASCAR decided to just stop throwing yellows for some reason. That was weird. They had like a whole bunch of single car spins that they called yellows for, and then they had another one, and they just said, yeah, it sucks to suck, buddy. (laughs) I mean... (laughs) Well, I think they realized if they kept throwing cautions like that, the rest of the race was going to be under caution. Right. Because if they just kept doing that, they were going to keep having spins like that, and they weren't going to get more than like two or three laps under green for the rest of the race. Right. So I think finally they just said, nope, unless there's a big pileup, y'all can deal with it. I thought it was weird how bad the track looked at the end of the cup race. Mm Because I know like getting slick on the surface is just something that happens in dirt racing, but it did not look anywhere near that bad in the truck race. And I I feel like it might have hampered the racing product at the end of the cup race a little bit. I mean, I don't know that much about dirt racing, but I can imagine if it's supposed to be dirt and it basically turns into really crappy asphalt with a giant hole in the center of the corner, then that's not going to go too well. I'm surprised it didn't break anything on that big hole that they had in the center of the turn. Oh, like they did with Arca a couple of years ago at DuCoin? You wouldn't know this because you didn't see that race, but that was... That's one of my infamous videos where I laid into Arca that the track at Ducoin literally was coming apart and it was, there were giant clumps of dirt coming up and punching holes in radiators and they had like four cars finish the race. Nice. It was one of the most embarrassing races I've ever seen in my life. And Arca's still like, yes, we still want to go to Ducoin. That's a marquee race for us. Maybe not for cars that big. <laughs> right. And maybe not on a dirt track that can't hold its surface. Like, maybe yeah. you should go to a dirt track that, one, provides better racing, and two, can actually stay together. I wish we could build a new dirt track that was, like, similar to Bristol, but intended for dirt. And yeah. get rid of the Bristol Spring Race. 
I don't want to get one? rid of the Bristol Spring Race, but I do want to get rid of it on dirt. See, here's my thing. Why are we still trying to race in Tennessee at the beginning of spring? It rains all the time, and now you're trying to put dirt on it? When's the last time a Bristol race, a Bristol spring race got rained out, though? Or at least had a rain delay? It's been like seven of the last ten years. Has it? They put a stat out about it, and it, it, oh. it it's pretty bad. <laughs> okay. It's just I like mean, there, there was the one year expect, it snowed. Right. You can't expect attendance to be super high for a track that has a really good chance of getting rained on. I mean, they didn't even have qualifying or practice or whatever. And here's another thing I think NASCAR dropped the ball on. I didn't even know they had heat races until I was watching the truck race, and they said, oh, yeah, this happened in the cup heat race today. Mm-hmm. I'm like sort of into this series now, and I didn't even know they had heat races. Did they well, even they, advertise that anywhere? Well, they had the heat races for both trucks and cup on FS2 on Saturday, like mid-afternoon into evening. Like they had them oh, back to back. So they had truck heats at like was either four or five in the afternoon, followed immediately by the cup heats, and then they oh, went into truck cup, or truck race. Yeah, and then went immediately into truck pre-race and then the race. Okay. It's just, I don't understand how you can have on-track action, like competitive on-track action, not just practice, and nobody knows about it. Because they know the ratings won't be worth a sh- for heat races, so they don't care. They throw them on FS2 because they know they have to televise them, but they're not going to put them somewhere... Like FS1 ratings, or Big Fox, where they're not going to draw ratings. Ratings haven't been worth a damn during the race anyway. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I don't I don't know what the deal is there. It's just... I, they were just starting to talk about heat races. I'm like, well, when the hell did we do this? <laughs> mm-hmm. I would have watched it if they you, said you something really didn't, You really didn't miss all that much anyway. I mean, it's they weren't super exciting heat races. Nothing really of note happened, at least that I can remember. Apparently, um, J.J. So. Yaley and a Rick Ware car passed more than three people, so that would have been worth the watch in itself. Well, yeah, that's true. That was about the only thing. Speaking of Rick Ware cars, uh, Cody Ware, I guess personal matter, is a cover for aggravated assault now. <laughs> well... To be fair, if I was Cody or Rick Ware or anybody in that family, I wouldn't want that info getting out until it absolutely had to either. So what else are you going to call it when he's not there and he's supposed to be? Well, he didn't even get arrested until Monday. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, they arrested him Monday morning and they said Sunday night that he wasn't going to be at the race for a personal matter. I'm like, eh. I would call beating the crap out of somebody more than a personal matter, but... Yeah, uh, I mean, what else are you supposed to call it, though? (laughs) Say he's been kicked from the team or something, I don't know. (laughs) That's his family team. They're not going to kick him from that team unless they absolutely have to. No, I don't know. I I I mean, given his performance, why would they? If they they were going to by now, they would have. Yeah, that's true. I saw somebody say that they should put Takuma Sato in that car for the rest of the season. I'm like, Ugh. why? I don't know. What 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 would lead you to believe one that Takuma wants to be in that car, and two that he would do anything in that car? Right? Yeah, I have no idea where that came from. Hell, I think it would almost be better just leave Matt Crafton in that car the rest of the year. He didn't do too bad in the Cup race, I didn't think. Even I, though, I mean, it's it's a dirt race, so you can't really judge Matt Crafton on a dirt race. But you he's know. won he's won at Eldora before. Yeah, but didn't he? I thought I remembered him saying that he kind of sucks on dirt. He did until the year he won at Eldora, when he actually put the time in and went out and ran a bunch of actual dirt races and actually tried to learn it. That was something else that they were talking about during the cup broadcast that I thought was pretty cool. All the different cup guys that did dirt and the ones that kind of branched out once they started having a dirt points race. Mm-hmm. And it's, I, just, I just think it's kind of cool 
to see drivers do different things. And it's one of my favorite things about NASCAR is they're usually pretty good about letting drivers do other stuff. Mm-hmm. Whereas places like Formula One, you're going to race an F1 car. And if you're lucky, you're going to come home and drive something else on a simulator. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I agree. Um, I And I thought that was kind of cool um, on the pre-race when they had Mike Helton on and he was – uh, giving Tony Stewart his thing about being part of the, the 75 greatest drivers. And, and Clint starts talking about how Tony is kind of the reason that Clint even got a chance because Tony went out and was running a bunch of other stuff, running local dirt races and that kind of thing, and, and giving a spotlight to uh, some of the guys that were running at tracks like that. And Clint kind of said that was basically the reason he even got a chance was because Tony came out and ran some races that he was in. Yeah. Also that top 75 thing mm-hmm. that has been the biggest like boomer face plant I've ever seen in my life. Cause like they came out and they announced Tony Stewart as the first one mm-hmm. that fair enough. He's won a couple championships. He's a really good racing driver. They go out and announce Casey Kane. I really like Casey Kane. I think he definitely deserves to be top 25 at 98 to 2023. He's got 18 wins and three of them are Coke 600s. How many other people won three Coke 600s? <laughs> right. I always thought he was kind of underrated and just got really crappy cars. I know he was at Red Bull for a couple years and Red Bull NASCAR was not really awesome. Yeah. Um, he always performed well in the equipment he had. And I just reading through the comments of some of the NASCAR posts about it. Some people were like Casey Kane, did he even win any races? Like, where have you been? <laughs> These are people that tuned in late in his career and just saw the years at the end where he struggled basically, which, which was also the years where Hendrick in general struggled. Mm-hmm. Like Jimmy Johnson didn't even do very well. The last couple of years he was at Hendrick. Well, see, let's think about this, though. Since they already picked 50 greatest drivers back in 98, and they're mm-hmm. only adding 25 to it. From 98 how many to 2023. People, right. So how many people in that time frame, how many drivers in that time frame are so good that everybody is gonna gr- going to agree that they should be a 25, one of, the 20, one of those extra 25 greatest drivers? I think only a handful of them are Tony Stewart level to where everybody's going to go, yeah, they should be on there. There's almost every one of these, I guarantee you, there's going to be people going, why did they put him on there? Why didn't they put this person on? Blah, 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 blah. Well, and I guess some people are thinking that now it's like a ranking, like they put Tony Stewart first and now Casey Kane second kind of deal. And it's like, no, they're just announcing the 25 at like their own pace kind of deal. To be fair, I think the first 50 were in a ranking. Yeah, I don't know. I wasn't here in 1998, so... I think they were, but but at the same time, <laughs> I don't know how you would make a ranking of these 25 unless you, like, intersperse them into the previous 50. So well, NASCAR's changed so much in the past 25 years. It It's fairly difficult to pick a like ranking of drivers like that. I think top 25 of past 25 years is a pretty good benchmark. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you're going to get guys like Tony Stewart, Casey Kane, Jeff Gordon, Jimmy Johnson, Dale Jr. People like that. I mean, there's 25 years in there. A lot of these guys won multiple championships in that time span. Jimmy Johnson won seven of them. So it's, it's See, like, that's the thing, and and you just basically named off every one of them that I think everybody would probably agree should be on there. So then, how do you fill the other 20 slots? It's going to be with guys that were good, but most people are going to be like, why didn't they put this person on if you put this one on? Right, and I, I think people like Casey Kane. I mean, he was really good on track, and he was pretty important for... NASCAR fan base, I think, because I always remember him being a pretty big fan favorite, and I think it'll be guys like that that didn't just have an on-track presence, they were good on-track, but also helped to grow the sport. I think 
I think to be a top 25 NASCAR driver, you need to be able to drive the car and grow the sport. You can't just drive a car and go home and not care about it because you're not growing the sport. You have to help out. As part of the racing community in a sport that's seen steady decline for the past several years, you got to help out. You got to make the public image better and just do your part. Race the car. Be a person. Be interesting. That's how you help NASCAR. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Um, and some drivers did that better than others. And hopefully those drivers will get recognized um, on this list. Um, but I think that's probably about all we got for Bristol Dirt. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about with that? Um, Not a lot. Um, just... It was pretty good racing, and I think if we had come to a track that was a dirt track and had this race, there wouldn't be nearly as much complaining about it. I like Bristol Concrete just as much as the next person, but I think if this is the if this is the product we get for Bristol Dirt, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it, but I still think that if we can find an actual dirt track to run them on, I would rather them do that. But if this is what we're going to get going forward, I'm not going to complain about it. Right. That's kind of how I feel about it. It was good racing. I would rather it be that good of racing on the concrete, but mm -hmm. it, I, I get it. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Um, so let's move on then to, Predictions for this week, uh, we've got all three series, Trucks, Cup, and Xfinity, all headed to Martinsville this weekend. Uh, Tyler, is there an IndyCar race this weekend? I know there's not ARCA. There is St. Pete. Or not St. Oh, Pete. Right. Uh, uh, Long Beach. Long Beach. Okay. So yeah, we've got uh, lots of action this week, because I believe there's an F1 race this week as well. Um, that would be... Just both of us pick Max Verstappen, and we got about a hundred percent chance of getting it right. Right. Um, actually, no, there is not. It is. We've got. It won't be for another two weeks. Uh, April thirtieth will be Azerbaijan. Um, oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> actually, that's usually not a terrible race. Somehow. Um, right. Um, so IndyCar this weekend will be. Uh, Sunday, 3 p.m. from Long Beach, 3 p.m. Eastern. And then trucks will be Friday, 7.30 p.m. on Fox Sports 1. I guess I should tell the channel for... Um, or aren't all IndyCar races on NBC now? No, they've got a couple on USA and Peacock. Uh, but this one's on NBC. Yeah. Um, 3 p.m. Eastern on Sunday for Long Beach. Trucks, Friday, 7.30 p.m., FS1. From Martinsville, Tyler, who you got for trucks? I'm going to pick Zane Smith for trucks. Um, he usually does pretty well at Bristol. Or not Bristol, damn it. Martinsville. Um, Close enough. He's been killing it this season, and I think he's going to carry that momentum into a track that he's pretty comfortable at. I agree. Um, he has won at Martinsville in the past, so not a bad pick there at all, uh, especially since he... Um, is arguably the best truck in the series right now. I'd argue that Christian Eckes has given him a run for that this season in that 19 truck. But um, over the past couple seasons, he he and that 38 team have been pretty unstoppable a lot of the time. Um, I am going to go with someone who is just always sneaky good. He's always consistently up front, putting himself in position um, to capitalize if others make any any sort of mistakes. And he tends to... I think run a little better on short tracks than he does anywhere else. And that is Grant Enfinger, I think, picks up his first win of the season, locks himself into the playoffs, and starts a possible championship run. Championship All right, Xfinity will be... Hmm? Championship run for Grant Enfinger now. I said possible <laughs> championship run. He's always in the mix for it, so it's oh, not yeah. out of the realm of possibility. 
Uh, Xfinity will be Saturday at 7.30 p.m. on FS1. Tyler, who you got for Xfinity? I'm going to take Brandon Jones for the Xfinity race. I think, and obviously, he's been really good at Martinsville. He's His only win last year was at Martinsville. And in the other race, he led laps and I think ultimately crashed or something towards the end of the race. But he is very comfortable at Martinsville, always does well. And I think this will finally be the first week that he shows his potential at JRM. Solid pick. Um, Yeah, as you said, he's been good at uh, Martinsville in the past. Um, Has not had a great start to the season, but... Um, this, yeah, this could be the weekend that he finally gets that turned around and, uh, starts doing some good things at JRM. I'm going to go though with his teammate who has won at Bristol in the past. In fact, won his first Xfinity race at, I said Bristol too, (laughs) Martinsville. You did it. You, you made, you put Bristol in my head. I'm going to blame you for this. Um, This is because it's almost noon and we're doing a podcast, right? Um, Josh Berry is going to win at Martinsville. Uh, he won his first race at Martinsville, not at Bristol, um, and has been very good at Martinsville. Uh, pretty much every time he's shown up, he is a short track expert. Uh, so I think Josh Berry picks up that first win of the season this weekend, especially with all of the cup experience he has picked up over the past few weeks in that nine car and has run very well in that car. I think he gets the job done this weekend at Martinsville. Cup race from Martinsville Sunday. Of course, it's 3 p.m. on FS1. Tyler, who wins the cup race from Martinsville? Of course, we couldn't have another night race for the weekend, but I'm going to go with Martin Truex Jr. He's done very well at Martinsville in the past and hasn't really done a whole lot this season. He's been running up front, but... It, none of the typical MTJ headliner type dominating the heck out of the race that we were used to seeing from him by this point in the season. So I think he's finally going to pick it up Martinsville, a track that he's very comfortable at, and we'll see how it goes for his championship hopes. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, I mean, he probably maybe could have, should have, would have won at Richmond. Um, so maybe he backs that up this week and uh, actually picks up the dub uh, that uh, late caution kind of screwed him at Richmond, so hopefully um, he doesn't have that kind of thing screw him over this week. But I am going to go with someone who has had a lot of bad luck this season, um, and I think he finally turns it around this week and gets his first win since 2021. Someone else who hasn't won since 2021, just like Truex, and that is one Mr. Ryan Blaney, I think, finally. Picks up that first win of 2023 and finally gets himself locked into the playoffs and gets some momentum going this season because he hasn't really had any so far this season. I'm so tired of seeing Ryan Blaney do well and then something bad happened to him in the middle of the race. I think he's a pretty good driver. It just sucks because it seems like every race it's just, oh, there goes Ryan Blaney. Mm -hmm. That sucks. And for anyone on the audio version, Doc says hi. (laughs) <laughs> he is he's on my lap now. Um as he gets my headphone cords wrapped around his tail. Um but yeah, I think that's gonna be about it for this week. Um hopefully by next week I have a repaired or new microphone that uh will fix the issues that we have had this week. But if not uh, we'll try to get something better sorted out than the situation we've got right now, but I think that's just going to about do it for us this week. So, at that, I'm Garth, that's Tyler, and this is the Rookie Stripes Podcast on Racing News Now. <laughs>